Welcome to our weekly podcast, and Merry Christmas. Friends, I am so excited to be able to say that throughout the rest of the month. Today, we're going to start celebrating Christmas as a church family. And it's hard to believe that December is already here. I know some of you started celebrating Christmas a while ago, and I happen to be in the group that likes to celebrate before Thanksgiving, but my wife just ain't having it. (laughs) If it were up to me, we'd have the Christmas tree up in November. But I've decided that this is not a hill that I'm willing to die on. So I've agreed over the years that we'll put up the tree on the day after Thanksgiving. Now, we were able to decorate the church building a little early this year, so I feel like I was able to start celebrating early. It takes a lot of work to decorate the building for Christmas, and we really appreciate the time that you all put in. So uh, if you helped out this year, just a big thank you to the work that you did. Decorating the church building and our homes is a great way to get excited about Christmas, but not everyone lives in anticipation for the holiday season. In fact, a lot of people dread this time of year. It can be a season of stress. It brings emotional challenges and for some, pain because of the loss of a loved one. This has been a difficult time of year over the past two years because of the pandemic. I know there's a lot of families who've been unable to spend time together, especially those who have severe health conditions. Until last week, I had no idea that there's a name for the kind of negative emotions that many people have during the holiday season. It's spelled S-A-D, or SAD. It stands for Seasonal Affective Disorder. And this highlights the anxiety and depression that around 10 million Americans experience this time of year. So for a lot of people, November and December can be really sad. Yet here we are celebrating Christmas as a church family. And you know what? This is something that we should do. Even when times are tough, even when times are sad, we should celebrate together. And that's because Christmas is the time of year when we're able to look back and remember that God became flesh in Jesus Christ. God became our Messiah in the person of Jesus. When you read about the birth of Jesus throughout the Gospels, You also read about the different moods and attitudes that people had during that time, during the actual time when Jesus was born. God's word perfectly captured the different kinds of challenges that people were experiencing, as well as the political unrest that was going on in the first century. Even before the time of Christ, God's people experienced challenging and difficult times as they lived in anticipation for how God would send the Messiah to rescue them. The feelings and emotions that we experience this time of year, whether positive or negative, are emotions and experiences that God's people have had for generations. So knowing this, I'd like to encourage all of us to acknowledge the entire scope of these emotions and human experiences as we enter this season. If you're excited about Christmas, If you're looking forward to this time of year, let me remind you that you're in good company. There's a lot of people here at OCC who feel the same way. But if you're experiencing a lack of excitement for the holidays, maybe you're hurting this season, let me remind you that you're also in the right place. There's people here who are experiencing the same thing. Regardless of what's going on in your life, my hope is that when we're together, when you're listening to the podcast each week, When the body of Christ gathers on Sunday, that we would encourage one another, 
We would minister to one another, love one another, worship together, and find ways to celebrate the true reason for the season. Friends, let's allow God to do what only he can do in our lives this season. Today, we're beginning a new message series called Jesus Is. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. The book of Isaiah is found in the Old Testament and is sandwiched between the Song of Songs and Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 9 will be the primary passage for our series over the next four weeks, with verse 6 being the key verse for each message. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know that Jesus was born as a baby. This time of year, that's what most people think about when they think about Christmas or when they think about Jesus. The Christmas story brings with it some nostalgia, especially when we see things like the nativity scene or when we sing songs about the birth of Jesus. As Christians, we know that Jesus is more than a baby. But for this time of year, that's what we like to focus on. We know that he grew into a 12-year-old boy who sat among the teachers and religious leaders, listening to their teaching, asking questions, and sharing God's wisdom in a way that amazed all those who heard him speak. We know that he grew into a young man who worked as a carpenter or a stonemason before the age of 30. We know that he began his earthly ministry at the age of 30, a ministry that would ultimately lead him to the cross, where he would die for the sins of the world. We know all of these things about Jesus, but what we're drawn to this time of year is the miraculous story of his birth. When we read prophecies like the one we just read in Isaiah chapter 9, it causes us to step back and think about what really took place in that time and when Jesus was born. Isaiah was a prophet of God who lived and spoke for God about 740 years before the birth of Jesus. And that means that the words that we're reading today are about 2,740 years old at least. And this has always amazed me because his prophecies are some of the most descriptive writings about Jesus in all of the Old Testament. They help us understand what God's people were anticipating as they look forward to the coming Messiah. Isaiah's writings are unique because they reveal details about how God would send the Messiah to save and rule over the hearts of people. In the verse that we just read, Isaiah let his readers know that the Messiah would be known by certain titles. These are descriptions of God or characteristics of God. And not only would he be known by certain titles, but he would also rule over all things. Isaiah wrote, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. So this Messiah would be the one who rules and reigns. All authority in heaven and on earth would be given to him. Isaiah is considered to be the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. He's mentioned at least 50 times in the New Testament. He shared a powerful message of both judgment and hope. And he was consistent in his ministry for God. Even when people didn't want to listen to his message, and a lot of people didn't, he was consistent. His purpose in writing the book of Isaiah was to point the nation of Judah back to God and to tell them about God's rescue plan through the coming Messiah. In fact, Isaiah is the prophet who wrote about the Messiah the most. 
Now, he lived during some of the darkest and most difficult times in the history of God's people. His primary audience was the tribe of Judah, but he mentions the other tribes as well. I'd like to read through Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And that way we can have some context for this key verse, verse 6. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. So right away, you see, this is a time of gloom, a time of distress. But he's saying it's not always going to be that way. And then he wrote that in the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. As we go through this passage, you're going to notice that Isaiah brings up some difficult and challenging events that God's people experienced in the past. But he also talks about the hope that's coming in the future. When he wrote that in the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, he was talking about an event that was still taking place as he was writing. So around 721 to 722 B.C., the Assyrians who lived in the north, so think modern-day Syria and modern-day Turkey, they exiled and enslaved ten tribes of Israel. And after this happened, these tribes were lost to history. To this day, we call them the lost ten tribes of Israel. When Isaiah wrote about how the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali had been humbled, he was also talking about the other tribes that were exiled. Isaiah is beginning to share an amazing truth that even in our gloom and distress, in the times when we fear that our sorrow and troubles will never end, God promises to walk with us through them. You'll notice a phrase in that first verse, uh, Galilee of the nations. And this was a region of Israel located between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. And this is significant because we know that Jesus was born in this area. He's the one whose birth would bring hope to all people. So with this in mind, let's continue reading the rest of the passage. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. Isaiah wrote, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So he's saying even though there's gloom and distress, there's a great light. There's hope. And then he says, You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Now, when I read that line, it kind of takes me to movies that I've seen where people are oppressed and they're walking around chained up with maybe with a heavy bar or a heavy piece of wood across their shoulders. He says the rod of their oppressor, the bar across their shoulders. And then he goes on, he says, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. So he's saying these troubles will come to an end. This war will stop. And then we get to verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So what are we reading about here? 
We're reading words that were written by a man who was sold out to God. You know, Isaiah didn't back up or back down when times were tough. And that's because his strength came from God and his hope was in God. Even though prophets weren't always popular with the people, Isaiah faithfully followed God anyway. Prophets spoke about some very difficult truth. They challenged people to turn from their sin and turn back to God. Now, if you're concerned about having a profession where everyone likes you and where you're recognized for all your hard work, being an Old Testament prophet would not be a good choice for you. Writing about the faith of many of the Old Testament prophets, the writer of Hebrews said this about their experience. So this is in the New Testament. This writer said they were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. We don't know this for sure, but it's believed that Isaiah is the prophet who was sawed in two. That's what tradition and history teaches. You know, there's a lot of preachers and churches who aren't popular today because they preach the truth of God's word. The world rejects the truth that there's only one way to receive salvation. That's by God's grace through faith in Jesus. The world rejects God's design for marriage and family. The world rejects what God says about sin and what it means to live for Christ. Can I just say that if you don't like my messages, please don't saw me in half. You know, we can sit down, we can grab a cup of coffee and talk about these things before it gets to that point. Isaiah was a man who was sold out for God. He didn't back down. He didn't give up. And it's this Isaiah who saw better days ahead for God's people. It's this Isaiah who lived in some pretty dark times, but he believed that a light would come. It was this Isaiah who anticipated Christmas, even in the midst of emotional stress, political unrest, and painful physical death. It was this Isaiah who recorded the promise of a coming king whose peace would have no end. Isaiah chapters 7 through 12 specifically talk about the coming of the Messiah. These chapters are all about hope and how God will rescue and redeem his people. And we read about some of these truths in today's passage. In verse 1, Isaiah wrote how there's going to be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Verse 2, he wrote, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In verse 3, he wrote, You've increased their joy. People rejoice before you. Friends, don't we live in a world like this? There's gloom, darkness, and death. Isaiah continues with this kind of language until verse 6, which says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So it's in the midst of all of these things, the gloom, the darkness, the the death, that Isaiah wrote about how a light has dawned. He says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This light, this child will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. With a backdrop of gloom, darkness, and death. This is Isaiah's celebration of hope. And you know what? With a backdrop of gloom, darkness, and death in our world today, we too can celebrate because there's hope. All of the other Old Testament prophets essentially agreed with Isaiah that a Messiah would come, but none of them wrote about it in the way that he did. In fact, it's not until we get to the New Testament in Luke chapter 1 
that we see a fulfillment of his words. It almost sounds like Luke was quoting Isaiah when he wrote his gospel. Uh, Listen to Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33. Luke wrote, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. You know, Doesn't this sound like Isaiah's writings? This time of year, we love to think about Jesus as a baby, but Isaiah and Luke both remind us that he's so much more than that. Jesus is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting Father, and our Prince of Peace. Our focus for today is on how Jesus is our wonderful counselor. The Hebrew word for wonderful um, is so much more than just an adjective that we like to use to describe the food we ate at Thanksgiving. The Hebrew word for wonderful um, indicates something uncommon, uniquely special, or miraculous. My Thanksgiving meal was really good. My wife knocked it out of the park this year, but it wasn't uncommon. It wasn't miraculous. You know, families all over the United States um, gathered and ate the same kind of thing that I ate. The Messiah that Isaiah wrote about would be wonderful in the Hebrew sense of the word. He would be uncommon, uniquely special, miraculous. Now, the Hebrew word for counselor also means something completely different than how we tend to use the word today. When you hear the word counselor, you probably think about a a mental health counselor, a school counselor, or some kind of therapist. The kind of counselor that Isaiah was writing about referred to a king who would give counsel to his people. He would protect and lead his people into better days. We read about a lot of bad kings throughout the Old Testament. There's been a lot of bad and terrible kings throughout the history of the world. Kings who lived for themselves instead of living for God. Kings who thought about their own interests instead of the interests of their people. When this would happen in the Old Testament, people looked around and wondered why they'd been abandoned. They questioned where their counselor had gone. It was the prophet Micah who wrote about this very thing. Micah chapter 4 verse 9 says, Why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your counselor perished? He's saying, nobody's leading you right now. You're you're wandering without a counselor, wandering without a king. In Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, Isaiah defined the word counselor for us when he wrote these words. He said, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So again, Isaiah was writing about Jesus. This is who Jesus is as our wonderful counselor. He's full of God's wisdom, full of God's understanding, full of God's power and knowledge. Isaiah wasn't talking about a medical counselor. He was writing about the King of kings and the Lord of lords, a Messiah who would rule and reign in the hearts of people, a king who would lead his people down the right path, a mighty counselor who would lead his people into better days. When talking about Jesus as our wonderful counselor, one pastor described him as a strategist. Any good king has a strategy. He plans ahead and knows how he's going to win the battle. Did you know that our God is a strategist? He has a plan. He has a strategy to help us win the battle against sin, Satan, and death. In fact, long before the world began, God had a plan 
to send Jesus as our rescuer. Listen to the Apostle Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-20. through 20. He wrote, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. He's highlighting the truth here that you and I are sinners by nature. We inherit sin, but we're also sinners by choice. He continues and says that it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom. And hear this, long before the world began. But now in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. Our wonderful counselor is a strategist. And he's uncommon. He's uniquely special and miraculous. He's our king who goes before us and leads us down the right path. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Even in the midst of gloom, despair, and death, Isaiah kept his focus on God. And through his example, and with the Holy Spirit's help, I want to encourage you to do the exact same thing. Regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of what's going on in your family or in your own life, you can trust your wonderful counselor Because he's perfectly trustworthy. Friends, as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the miracle that is Christmas, let us remember that our wonderful counselor is our hope.